Mark chapter 4 and verse 21. And this is the Lord Jesus Christ who is speaking and he says, And he said unto them, Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not to be set on a candlestick? For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested, neither was anything kept secret, but that it should be that it should come abroad. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And he said unto them, Take heed what ye hear. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you, and unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that hath to him shall be given, and he that hath not from him shall be taken even that which he hath. Amen. May God bless to us this reading also. Our Saviour here is still speaking to his disciples and if we are right in thinking as it appears the gospels imply that this is still all happening on the same day as so much else had transpired how hard working and tireless was the saviour to be about his father's business he had already explained to his disciples that they would be seedsmen they would be sowers of the word. They would be preachers of the gospel. That's why the Lord had called the twelve and those with the twelve uh, that would be his preachers to go out into all the world. And he had earlier in his interpretation of the parable of the sower told them of the varying reactions that they would have in the exercise of their ministry. As they sowed that seed, as they carried that word, that gospel message into all the world, there would be a variety of responses would come to them. There would be some who would be careless. They wouldn't be bothered at all whether they heard or whether they didn't and the gospel would mean nothing to them. There would be some who would be curious and they would think, oh, this is very interesting. But then we would discover that the trials of the world would stop them from thinking about the things of God and they would be more preoccupied with the challenges that they faced. And there would be some who would be committed to these doctrines, these these preachings and these preachers but then good times would come along and they would be so taken up with their passions and their lusts and satisfying the desires of their heart that they would forget the truth of the gospel and then there would be those who would be converted under the preaching of Christ crucified and it was these ones, those who would be like the good soil where the seed grew, who would be fruitful and who would glorify God. And so the Lord Jesus Christ was telling his disciples that there would be a variety of reactions, but also that 
their preaching ministry would be successful because there would be those who would be fruitful as a result of their ministry. So at the very outset of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and the uh, ministry of the apostles in these formative years in which they are being taught by the Lord Jesus Christ, the Saviour gives them an overview of what will happen when they begin their preaching. There will be labour involved. There will be frustration involved. There will be disappointment involved. But there will be success. And that's a lovely thing to remember. Whenever we preach the gospel, there may be a lot of different reactions. But the word of God will not return void. It will be successful in those things whereunto it is sent with power of the Holy Spirit. I wanted just to draw your attention to a couple of little things here in an introduction, if I may. Some of you might have been to university or college or done an apprenticeship and that's maybe been an experience of, of some of you uh, and, and you're able to, to talk about this. Well, the experience of the disciples here, these people that had been called, some of them were fishermen, some of them uh, were, were, were artisans, some of them were tax collectors. These people who had been called, they were, as it were, beginning on a three-year college course. That's what they were doing. They didn't necessarily know it was going to be three years, but that was the extent of the ministry of the Lord Jesus before he went to the cross. And these disciples were ushered into their apostolic role on the day of Pentecost. And in the forthcoming three years, these disciples would be constantly learning at the lips of the Lord Jesus. They would be constantly watching the things that he did and hearing the things that he saw. And the Lord, like a good teacher, was already pushing them into their studies, teaching them about their role as seedsmen, teaching them about their role as sores sowing the seed and their preaching duties and the responses that they would get so that they would be fitted to that gospel task that was before them, the great commission that the Lord would give them to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. And here it is that the disciples are being taught. Because while these stories, these parables, were perhaps preached to a wider audience, the real depth of meaning was narrowly applied to those who had eyes to see and ears to hear. And though I'm still, in a sense, in my introduction here, I just want to make a, a, a small observation. The Lord Jesus Christ created the heavens and the earth, created the universe by the word of his power in six days. Six days. But he took three years, three years of Christ's own work, of Christ's own labours to make these fishermen 
fishers of men. Do you see the contrast there? Do you see the comparison that I'm trying to make? The Lord Jesus Christ personally laboured for three years to form these men into the preachers that would be sent out in their apostolic role. The same Lord who had created the universe in six days. And that tells me something. That tells me that preachers are not cast in a mould or manufactured on a production line. But they're sculpted by the Lord himself. They're forged by the hand of Almighty God. They are wrought by his will and his purposes in order to bring his message, communicate his gospel, and gather his elect. They're not created spontaneously like the sun was when the Lord said, let there be light or, or created the greater light to rule by day and the lesser light to rule by night and simply brought them into being by the word of his power. The Lord Jesus Christ did not say, let there be 12 fully equipped apostles. He worked with these men. He brought these men through trials. He brought these men through tough experiences. And he called upon them to be diligent, to be serious, and to learn their practice. As you who've been to university or done your apprenticeship know, it takes hard work to achieve anything that is meaningful. And that's what we have before us here in this passage also. The Lord Jesus Christ is causing these men to learn over time at his feet those things that they needed in order to serve his cause and his people. And it is this education, this fitting them for purpose that we have in view here today. Now, having begun his last lesson, as it were, the lesson about the sower with the importance of the word. Remember what he said? The seed, the seed is the word. So he told the story, the parable to the people about the different soils. And, but then he says to his disciple, now this seed is the word. It's the word. It's the gospel truth. The Lord now here then in his next lesson stresses the universal nature of that preaching ministry. So he is saying to these disciples, you have to go and you have to preach the word and you have to preach it to everyone. The gospel, that word that is to be preached, is as a light that is not to be hidden. The Father's purpose in salvation and Christ's work in redemption and his words in revelation were to be the apostles gospel that they spread abroad that they that they preached to the whole world 
And that's what the Lord is directing them to realise in this picture, this image of the light shining. You don't hide a light under a bucket. You don't put it under a bed. Its purpose is to shine into the whole world, to shine into the darkness. And this was the lesson for the apostles. The church's message throughout the ages has to be Jesus Christ crucified, the words of Christ, the works of Christ, the purpose of God. It was the purpose of the disciples then and it is the role of the church today to preach the gospel to as wide an audience as the Lord in providence enables us to reach. And so the Lord will manifest his truths to his people. That's the means by which the Lord brings these truths to individuals. We do not know who the elect are. God knows. God has his people. They are, they are spread about in this world. We don't know who they are, but we do know where they are. They're in the highways and the byways. They're in the towns and the cities where we live. They're in the communities and the families around about us. They're in our own household. They're in our own neighbourhood. And so we light a candle, not literally, we don't literally light a candle, but we do so figuratively by preaching the gospel so that the light which is Christ can go out into the world. We are preaching the gospel, we are sending it forth and it will fall upon whom it will. As the Lord said to Nicodemus, the wind blows wherever it wants. You don't don't know where it's come from. You don't know where it's going to. But it achieves that which it is sent to achieve. And so it is with the gospel. By this gospel, God the Holy Spirit will reveal Christ's sheep. He will identify those who are the elect of God, who are being called from the four corners of the world. And this was the disciples' role. This was the disciples' challenge. This was what they were being taught and fitted for. And it's the promiscuous nature of gospel preaching that is before us here in this little parable. It is to be declared to everyone. You see, the gospel's not... A secret to be shared just with the initiated. But it's to be set as a light on a candlestick. To lighten the whole house. And thus the Lord Jesus Christ taught his disciples. This is what the Lord is saying to his followers. They were to serve by going out into all the world to preach the gospel. Now look at verse 22 with me in this little passage here. Verse 22 it says, For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested, neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. You see what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying here? He's telling these disciples that they are to preach to the whole world. But he is also telling them that they are to preach the whole counsel of God. Nothing has been hid 
that isn't to be revealed. Now this is very important and its importance and its priority is perhaps suggested by the fact that it is one of the very first lessons that is taught to the disciples in this their apprenticeship. The covenant of grace, the purpose of God, the eternal decrees of God and his will for the salvation of his people is to be preached in all of its revealed glory. Whatever God has taught us of himself and his purpose in salvation has to be preached to the world. Now that means, to be specific, that we are to preach election and predestination. We are to preach blood atonement. We are to preach imputed righteousness. And that there is no other righteousness but that righteousness which God gives his own righteousness to sinners. We are to preach salvation by God's grace, not of works. We are to preach forgiveness of sin by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We have to preach about personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to preach about heaven and hell, about judgment and glory, about liberty and law, about joy and peace in believing. In short, we are to preach the everlasting promises of sovereign grace and the sure accomplishment of God's eternal purpose in Christ for the redemption of his little flock, his dearly loved and chosen people from the foundation of the world. Why? Because this is the whole counsel of God, because this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and this is that which will not be hid. It will be manifested. Nothing will be kept secret. It shall come abroad as the sores as the seedsmen take the word of God. And that's what Paul declared. Paul understood this also. That's what he declared uh, to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20 and verse 27 and 28. He said, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. You see what Paul is doing here? When he preached, he preached the atonement. He preached the death of Christ. He, de- he preached particular redemption. He preached that the eternal purposes of God and the whole counsel of God for those who had ears to hear. And I want to stress this because I feel it is important. Only the gospel of free grace can and will do a sinner good. The Lord promised success. The Lord promised fruitfulness for the disciples' ministry. 
He said that there would be fruitfulness because some seed would fall in the good soil. But then he told them what they had to preach so that the fruitfulness came as a result of proper preaching of the whole counsel of God being declared. Only a finished work, only a sovereign work, only a secured salvation will do a sinner good. Because anything else that leaves something to be done by the sinner renders him incapable and renders him hopeless. Anything else leaves the sinner without help, without hope. And that's the clear implication of the Saviour's statement here. By such preaching, knowledge of saving grace is dispensed and received by sinners. We can't make them believers. That's the work of God, the Holy Spirit. But God calls upon his disciples, his apostles, his preachers, his church to carry the proper message of the gospel. The gospel of free and sovereign grace to the ends of the earth. It's this message of the everlasting covenant. And, and, and ironically, it is that very message that is so often hidden by churches. Why do they do it? Because they desire to stress free will. Because they want to, to, to play on decisionism. Because they want to talk up men's efforts. Because they are ignorant of the true gospel themselves. And yet they occupy pulpits and preach week in and week out to the gathered masses who attend their ministry. But they're not preaching the apostolic gospel. And they are not doing the work that God sends his preachers to do. So that is what the Lord Jesus Christ is telling his disciples and telling his church. In Matthew, sorry, in Mark chapter 4 verse 23 he says, "If any man have ears to hear, let him hear." Now, I want us to to note that as well. Um Amongst the disciples and the church of all ages runs this confident assurance that the true gospel preached will be successful in gathering in God's sheep, his elect people. It just will. And that's what the Lord is meaning when he says, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. He will hear if he's been given ears to hear. The Holy Spirit, if he has given a sinner ears to hear, will hear that gospel. And so almost it appears that God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is honouring man Honouring the, the, the preaching of the gospel, honouring the service of the church to such an extent that he says that the message that goes forth will be received by those who have ears to hear at the work and behest of God the Holy Spirit. These two things will come together for the gathering in of his elect. What a privilege we have. 
what a blessedness we have as preachers, as, as those who support preachers, as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to uphold and maintain this great work of preaching the gospel. For it is this work that is the power of God unto salvation. And the church can have confidence in that. I don't say that, that, that the individual members of the church never have any doubts or, or don't have concerns about their own soul's well-being or never any uh, questions about, uh, about their own salvation. I know that assurance can be a challenge for many, many people. But those who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good never have any doubt about the efficacy of the blood of Christ or the power in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, or in the uniqueness of the gospel to save. Our doubts are about our own heart, not in the work of Christ, or in the purpose of God, or in the promises of God. And that word there, let, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. It's not a request word. It's not saying, let me come in. It's not a request. It's a command. When a king uses the word let, things happen. Did you notice how many times the Lord Jesus Christ used the word let in Psalm 109 when he was calling down those imprecations upon the wicked? These, I almost said curses, and that's not, that's not the word to use, and yet these, these, these great uh, uh, judgments that, that, that will fall upon the, the wicked. These will happen because the Lord Jesus Christ, as the judge of all men, as the judge of sinners, has said, let them happen. It's a statement of settled purpose on the part of God. Just in the same way as the Lord Jesus Christ said, let there be light and there was light. He says to us, let not your heart be troubled. It's our failure if our hearts are troubled because he has put our hearts aright. Be instructed, brother and sister in Christ, be instructed. Those who have ears to hear, those who have eyes to see is a euphemism for the quickening power, the regenerating power of God, the Holy Spirit. And those who are regenerated by God, the Holy Spirit, they will hear that gospel when it is preached. The whole counsel of God. The gospel of free and sovereign grace. They will know that gospel of Jesus Christ crucified. And they'll know him crucified for me. All such do hear and see Christ in the gospel. Now let me make a couple more points from these last two verses and then I'm, I'm done. And notice, notice this. It is the disciples and those with them, those that asked him the meaning of these parables, to whom understanding is given. The Lord is still speaking in parables and he still, that, that, that purpose of it being both a hider and a revealer of the truth stands the test. It is 
to the disciples and those with them to whom understanding is given and to whom the meanings of these parables is revealed. A wider audience may well have heard the parable, but the meaning was largely concealed from them. So in Mark chapter 4, verse 24 and 25, uh, we, we, we read these things. And he said unto them, Take heed what ye hear. With what measure ye meet it shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that hath to him shall be given. And he that hath not from him shall be taken even that which he hath. That's solemn. That's solemn. There's a strong admonition in this verse to us if we have ears to hear. And I hope you will be roused by the Lord's words and encouraged to make a wise response to them. I'm not asking for hands to be raised. I'm not asking for commitments to be made. I'm asking for you in the quietness of your own heart to reflect upon the words of the Lord Jesus Christ on this specific particular matter and to deal with the Lord in your own heart. Make a wise response to him, you who have ears to hear. When a teacher says to his class, listen, this is important. When, when a lecturer says to, to her audience, listen, this is important. It is a good idea for us to listen. To rouse ourselves and to draw our minds back to the subject that the lecturer, that the teacher, that the master is speaking about. And that's what the Lord is saying here. He says, take heed, listen to what I'm telling you. Take heed, listen to what I'm telling you. Now for a long time I was led to think that the Lord was here telling his disciples to be careful to whom and to what they listened. In the sense that they had to be discriminating about who they listened to and, uh, and, and what they listened to. And I don't doubt but that there is wisdom in such a warning. But it's not here. It's not what the Lord is saying here. Don't listen to lies. Don't listen to false testimony. Don't listen to backbiters and, 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 and those who are troublemakers. Don't listen to false doctrine. Don't listen to those who would undermine the whole counsel of God and the sovereign grace truth. Don't listen to it. We might even say that you could take this and, and, and say, be careful about what you watch on the television or in the cinema. Don't feed your lusts. Don't inflame your flesh and your passions. But that's not what this verse is saying. True as those things might be. What the Lord is saying is simply this. Listen to me. Listen to me. And he said it. He said it to the disciples. He said it to Peter. Maybe, maybe Peter's eyes were closing. Or, or Thomas was being distracted by something that was going on around about them. How frequently that happens. That happens in church. 
That happens when we're listening to the service. That happens when we're reading our Bibles. That happens when we're praying. How often that happens when we begin to deal with spiritual things. That we get distracted. That our eyes become heavy. Well, the Lord is saying, listen to me. It's almost like he's prodding us. It's almost like he's saying, give me your attention. Our mind just wanders away. That's the flesh. That's the old man at work. But the Lord says, now listen, listen, take heed. So again, it's not that we are to be discriminating about what we listen to, but rather we are to be attentive to Christ. And in the context of these disciples, he is telling them to be studious, to be serious about the gospel that he is revealing to them. And it's to us also. If we wish to deepen our spiritual understanding, if we want more light to be given, if we want a larger portion of the Lord's blessing to be dispensed to us, we want to grow in grace and deepen our experience of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we want to be a a, a seeker, then we have to listen to the Lord. We have to listen to the gospel and we have to apply it. Let Let me speak personally on this matter. I wish, I wish I were more spiritually minded. I wish I knew more about the Lord Jesus Christ. I wish I knew more about the power of his blood. I wish I understood more about the dimensions of his love. I I wish I experienced more of communion with him and the great blessings of the covenant that he has revealed in scripture. I lament my own lack of Bible knowledge, my own shallowness in scripture truth, my own gospel limitations. And I wish I had more. And I am sure, I am very sure that there is also much more to be had in knowing Christ. Do you remember what we said earlier about six day creation of the world the science the scientists of this world are dedicating to studying what God created with a word with a word science is dedicated to studying what God created with a word and yet we the church casually handle what the Lord spent three years telling these apostles. We're casual about it, almost nonchalant and careless. We're so preoccupied with the things that are going on around about us. Our minds are wandering, our eyes are becoming distracted. We are hearing other voices in the background and we become so distracted and the Lord says, take heed. Take heed. Listen to me. During the week, I I read a beautiful letter 
that was written to a man called Joseph Irons in 1850 by a coal miner of all people, a coal miner from Northumberland. Um, and he was thanking Mr. Irons for his written sermons. Um, Joseph Irons was a, a preacher. He was born, I don't know, 1795 or something, maybe a little bit earlier, and lived through till about 1852, I think. And um, he, was a, he was the pastor and preacher at Grove Chapel in Camberwell in London. So London is quite a long way from Northumberland, in, uh, certainly in 1850, and, and still a long way today. And, um, and this man was writing to Joseph Irons, who had, who had published the first volume of his sermons, and he was writing to tell him how much benefit he had received from those sermons that Irons or his church had published. And, and he wrote that he longed to hear him preach personally, but was too poor and too far away from London for it ever to be possible for him to visit and sit under the sound of Irons' ministry personally. And, and here's the point that I want to make. He wrote in this letter that I read, in fine Bible language of his own personal experience of grace and his reliance upon the Saviour. Here's, here's just a short extract. I've, 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 uh, I've culled it and I've written it down. Here's what he said. So this is the, this is the miner from, uh, from Northumberland. I perhaps ought to give you some account of who I am and how I came to know anything of these things. And yet I think the matter a very light one. Not that the dear Lord having mercy on me is a light matter, but I am such a poor, vile, polluted wretch that I have and am nothing but as I am and possess from free, rich and sovereign grace. I am a Newcastle collier belonging to the county of Durham and am now working in Northumberland it is 14 years since the Lord met me in mercy and after convincing me of sin and bringing me in guilty before God and passing sentence upon me, I was freely pardoned in virtue of my blessed days man and received the spirit of adoption as a son and became a manifest heir to the inheritance of light so that you see I possess nothing but is freely given me by the richest grace. End quote. Now I know that language has changed and I know that vocabulary has changed and I know that distractions have grown in step with the blessings that we've been given. And yet here we are with the best education ever, with the least labour ever, with the most free time ever, perhaps in the history of the world, the greatest standard of living. And I fear we are persistent spiritual babies in gospel matters. And I fear that as a preacher personally today, 
I would be hard pressed to match even a coal miner of a hundred years ago, 150 years ago. And that ought not to be. That ought not to be. I take these words of the Lord personally when he says, take heed. It's me, Peter Mary, take heed. Listen to what I'm saying. And what is the Lord saying in verse 25? But that we, his people, cannot be careless with the gifts that he has given us or blasé with the blessings that he has bestowed upon us. God calls his people to service. He calls his church to action. He calls his preachers, oh, his preachers, to attentive, studious, serious handling of his gospel to deepen their spiritual understanding and to better serve those who mourn in Zion. Our gifts must be exercised. Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you who are hearing me today, our gifts must be exercised. Our responsibilities must be accepted. Our duties must be done. These spiritual privileges of life and knowledge and the ability are not given to be ignored or despised, but to be nurtured, to be applied and to be built upon. And there's a warning. If we do not put to use the blessings and the benefits that God has bestowed, he will take them from us. If we desire spiritual growth, we must nurture and care for the spiritual seed that he has sown in our lives and amongst us. We must hear and apply the gospel that brings fruitfulness. Now these are personal matters I know. But as the Lord spoke to his disciples, so the gospels speak to us. We have been given the gospel, the gospel of grace. We have in our day been given an understanding far above most people in the world today. May the Lord give us grace to take that which we have been given and employ it in the service of our King for his name's sake. Amen.